Advertisers have learned that if you, they can tell you that you deserve something, you're more likely to buy it. Let me see if you know this very first one that I have here. I have quite a few, but I just wanted to know if you know this one. At McDonald's, they say, you deserve a break today. We all know that one, don't we? Do we? Do we really deserve a break today? I don't know. It says, you deserve the new now. There's a billboard in in San Francisco on the condos up there that you deserve a new now. How about you deserve Virgin Mobile? This is one of them that they use uh, that is out there. Or how about this? The most original people deserve the most original vodka. Stoli. So that's the one. And Suze Ortman, you know, the financial uh, lady, she says, the future you deserve. That's the name of her book. And how about Tony Robbins and his weight loss? The body you deserve. And how about this one? Setbacks, relax, you deserve it. Holland America Cruise Lines. And you know where that one was placed? In the American Bar Association Journal. So you know where all the law money is going right now. It's going to Holland America. So what I'm saying here is, is that we have this concept. If you deserve it, then you ought to be able to have it. Now, is it something that you, did you earn what you deserved or did what happened to you is that you didn't earn it, but what you did was you just kind of intrinsically had it. Maybe you're so beautiful that you deserve it. I, I think I'm so beautiful that I deserve some of this. You know, you think about it. I'm so original or I'm so smart. You know, I'm so smart that I deserve. If you were, you deserve this if you're so smart. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, I, I wonder about that. You see, if, but my, I, you know, I ask myself a lot of questions. But if you really deserve it, why don't they just give it to you? You know, you deserved it in the first place. But what happens when we deserve everything is we in, develop an entitlement culture. And I can tell if a person is entitled or not. Because when I ask them the question, especially if they're a senior, I said, are you getting the Social Security check you deserved or the one that you earned? You can tell the difference between the two. When you think that you've earned it, you don't think that you deserved it. You actually deserved it because you earned it. But when it comes to our relationship with God, for some reason, we think that we've got to do something for it. When I talk to people about salvation, most of the time, somebody says, what do I need to do? And what they mean by that is, how many classes do I need to, uh, to take? How many things, how many rituals do I need to do? Do I need to do, you know, do I need to do, you know, so many, you know, times of having communion or what, whatever it might be out there. They're saying, what do I need to do? And I don't want to say, that's not the case in this one. You see, we know that we have sinned and we know that we cannot undo our sin. We cannot erase our sin. It's like saying we cannot unsay something you've said. You know, you, you know that you say something you can say, I'm sorry, I said that, but that doesn't take it away, does it? They still hurt it. And as long as they hurt it and, you know, you can't really take it away. So if you want to know what you really deserve, we really deserve the wrath of God. That really is the truth. We deserve the wrath of God, but that's not God's desire for us. Now, I thought I'd play a little trick on you, but I'm not going to. I was going to ask you to get out your Bibles here and turn to Romans 16, 24. It's not in those Bibles. I want to tell you right in front of you, if you, get, if you pull it out of the back of the seat pocket, you're going to find that uh, verse 24 has been omitted. Now, I'm going to read my translation of verse 24. Now, I'm really proud of this translation. I'll tell you why in a moment. But it says this in Romans 16, 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Amen. My translation. Now, the reason I'm proud of it is because that 
scripture, that verse is in the New King, I mean, rather, it's in the New King James too, but it's in the King James Bible. But it's not in the NIV or the, it's, it's in a footnote in the New American Standard, I think, and ESV, it's in a footnote. In several other places, it's that. And the, and, and the question you have here is, is that if it's not there, why is it not there? And I think we have to answer that question because a lot of people are going to question that situation. Well, when the authorized version, which was the King James Version, was translated, it was done by a guy, a guy named, uh, he, a guy that collected these scriptures was a guy named Erasmus. There are now, we know, 5,800 copies, complete copies of the Greek New Testament. Complete copies of it. And I'm talking about ancient copies so that, you know, you can go back and check them all. But what happens is in these copies, there's a little bit of difference. And a lot of difference has to do just simply by they were copying them down. They were doing it. They were literally doing it hand by hand. It's, the originals were inspired by God and all that. Not, not any comp- anything I'm saying there about that. But what I'm trying to say is when they were copying it down, there were human beings that were copying it down. And they made a few possible errors, if you want to say that. And in some cases, they might have even added something. They may have said, it would be clearer if I said it this way. And so they would do that. Now, what happened is, is that some of the copies of the scripture have verse 24 and don't have verse 20 in them. Okay, and if you go back and you read verse 20, it's the same verse there as it is in verse 20. Okay, at the end of verse 20. So it's there anyway. Some of them have verse 24 and don't have verses 25 through 27. Just going to give you the, the differences that are there. Now, of that, Textus Receptus is what, and that's the name of the manuscripts that were put together by Erasmus, is that, and what we call the majority text now, which was a lot more of the others, there are about 2,000 little differences like this that do not make any difference theologically whatsoever. We've got 99% of the Bible uh, all the time, of what I'm trying to say, of the original. We've got 99%. Now, the interesting thing is, is that as we have gotten smarter somehow, we've become more critical. And as we've become more critical, there are now 6,500 differences between the critical text that we're using now for our translations and the majority text. So I'm not sure we're going the right direction anyway. But so regardless of that, I looked at it and I said, you know what? This is in verse 20 if it's not in verse 24 anyway. And I didn't preach on it when I was in verse 20, so I'm going to go ahead and deal with it today. So here's what, what is going on. Paul has started a doxology. Doxology is two words that are put together, which mean praise words or praise sayings that he's saying. He's going to bless the readers with the attributes of God. Now, he's going to talk about the attributes of God, but he's actually blessing them with this. And in this case, he is blessing the people with his grace. And when I started to look at God's grace, I found out there were so many verses and so many extra you know, things that, that were in God's grace that I couldn't put it into one sermon. So this is going to be two sermons, and I'm not preaching both today, okay? Just one of them today. But so I looked at these things called, this, this thing called grace. And I realized how God's grace is all over us. It is all over us. And I start from the very beginning. The scripture tells us we are saved by grace. We are absolutely saved by grace. In fact, in fact, salvation was foretold before it came to us. 
God had this, this grace that was ready for us before the beginning of time. And I'm going to talk about that in a, in a few more weeks about salvation. How this plan was already in place before the beginning of time. And he, was, he foretold it through the prophets. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10, Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. These prophets had hope, but they did not experience the grace that God was bringing in the sense of having the grace of Jesus Christ. They had hope that he was coming. See, they told the story and they waited. They understood sin. They knew there had to be a sacrifice for sin. And so they continued to do what really didn't fully work until there was the time when there would be something that would fully work. They continued to sacrifice the animals in order to point toward the blood of Jesus Christ and point toward the grace that God was wanting to give to us. They were pointing toward it, but they were not realizing it until Jesus Christ came along. So they believed it, and until in anticipation, they were doing what didn't work until what would work would come along. And that too is grace, for their faith was based on a belief that it would come rather than a belief that they had seen it with their own eyes. That is grace. You know, my dad uh, planted 110 pecan trees. He planted 110 pecan trees with the idea that he would sometime, someday have a great income off of them. Well, my dad never realized that income. He passed away before that income was ever would be able to produce like it should have produced. But he knew one thing. You plant the pecan trees, they're going to produce what? Pecans. You can take those pecans and you can sell those pecans. And if you've been buying pecans lately you know that they're like gold. In fact, they may be better than gold right now, tell you the truth. Well, the situation is, is that these prophets believed in in what they knew would happen. They knew that was going to happen, and that's God's grace. For salvation was freely given to us. Freely. No cost whatsoever. It says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now, this is a, probably the most unbelievable thing for a lot of people. You see, there, there's this desire in our heart to say, I want to do something for this salvation. But God says, you will do something after you have my salvation. But you're not going to need to do anything to get my salvation. And people want a physical cost. Just tell me what it costs. I will buy this from you. I will get this salvation. I will work for this salvation. And I wondered if people just don't want to be under any obligation is the reason they do that. Why, why don't we just not accept the grace that God wants to give to us? Why, why do we want to say, I, I, want to, I, I don't want any help. I'm going to do this all on my own. You know, maybe it's like my neighbor I had a few years ago. I see him coming out of the garage and he's got a full-size refrigerator on a two-wheeler and he's going to put it in the back of his pickup truck by himself. And I said, do you need any help? And he said, no. I want to say, no, that's not the right answer. The right answer is, yes, I need some help. And I said, because I'll call somebody for you. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) No, the thing about it is, is that we do need help. And this is one of those things that we cannot, cannot, cannot 
work for ourselves. It is a gift of God. For the Bible says we are chosen by grace. Chosen. Romans eleven five, and I can find many other scriptures that said this. It says, for two, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Grace was given to us and we responded. And God chose us in grace because he knew that we would respond. When did God know that you would choose his grace? Before the beginning of time. Not at the moment it happened. He knew before time ever began. Before time ever began. Before you were even a thought in anyone's mind. Before the, the earth was ever born. If you want to call it what it created, I guess is the right word. And so God knew that. And God knew what it would take to bring you to himself. For some of you, it might take a tragedy. For some of you, it might take a grandmother who had faith. For some of you, it might have been a vacation Bible school or a camp, or it might have been something else that came along. And God, in his grace, maneuvered you into a place where you would say yes to him. And he chose you because he knew what you were going to do to choose him. For God does not force us into anything. He does not keep us from doing things that we shouldn't do. He does not force us into doing things that we should do either. He did not keep Cain from killing Abel. He didn't keep David from having sin with Bathsheba. And he will not force you nor keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And so he puts things in your path so that you will naturally walk into them. And, he will, and he, he's made that decision because you made the decision. He made the decision before the beginning of time because he knew you'd make the decision and he knew it before the beginning of time. He chose you and that's his grace. He also gives grace to the people who will never choose him. You realize that? He gives them his grace, but he also knows they will never, ever trust in him. I mean, that's got to break the heart of God. But that's what, that's what happens. So he chooses you. The Bible tells us we are justified by grace. Titus 3.7 says, So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Our salvation had to be justified. We had to be made righteous in the sight of God. We had to be made right. We had to be remove all the barriers. We needed to have peace with God. And as long as we stood unrighteous, we could not stand in the presence of God. So the price of the removing that barrier was something called death. It says the wages of sin is death. And when it came up for you and it said, what does this person deserve? Death. And Jesus said, I got this. I got this. I got this. Understand. So, to realize the fullest extent of that gift of Jesus saying that is to understand this. You have nothing that Jesus needs. Not a thing. He didn't do it to get something out of you. He did it out of grace. Out of his pure love for you. See, it's not free if you pay anything for it. And he has done so. He's paid for this price himself out of his grace. 
The scripture says we are given an abundance of grace. Now this is beautiful here. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. When we look at that word riches, it means it doesn't run out. There isn't a sin that is too egregious that it cannot be forgiven. There's not something that you've done. You finally said, you know, now that I've done it, I've done something that Jesus cannot forgive. That is not going to happen. The only thing that you could do is is that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is for you to continue to say no, 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 no. And you never accept his grace all the way to death. Other than that, there is absolutely nothing that is out there that is greater than his grace that he'll have for you. The riches of it just pour on you. There's a couple of things that means. One is, is that means, you know what? After you are a believer and you still sin, that grace still covers you. Isn't that beautiful? You still have the grace on you. And I don't care what, what you've done. You know, I have personally seen drug dealers, robbers, and multi-murderers who have been saved and their and their sin was covered by the grace of our lord i I know that there's plenty of people out there that they'll say you know i i know that when people have a have a guilty conscience they do need to confess but if they're if they're if they've already confessed then they need to stop because the grace of jesus christ is on you but if you've got a clear conscience and you've never had a guilty conscience maybe you just got a bad memory You know, you don't know what sin you've really got. But what I can say is, is that from what I have seen, I've gone to hear, years ago, I went to hear this lady. And she gave her testimony. And she said that on a street in Houston, Texas, where she was walking that street as a prostitute, she got down on her knees one day, one night rather, in which she had heard the love of Jesus and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ just came and covered her up. She got down on her knees and she prayed to receive Christ. And from that moment on, that lady began witnessing for Jesus Christ. She was saved. Doesn't matter that she'd been a prostitute. I knew that my music minister down in Houston, when I was down there, he went and visited a lady at the, in a prison. She, she had, uh, she'd killed several people within her own family with an axe. I'll just tell you what happened. And she came to know Jesus Christ. And up to the day of her execution, she witnessed for Jesus Christ. She was saved. And a lot of us want to say, well, that's just not justice. It is justice. Jesus' blood was worth it. Worth all of that. So there's nothing you can do that is greater than his grace. And then we continue to live under grace. It says in Romans chapter 6 verse 14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What happened was, is that you had sin that you had committed. And when you had that sin, what you're trying to do is you're trying to work off the debt for that sin, but you don't have the right currency. What is the currency to work off the, the, uh, the sin that you've committed? It's death. And you can't work off that. There's only a, there's a final payment on that. And that final payment is all that you ever get. So you're never going to make it to the point where you paid off that debt. 
And so that the sin has control over your destiny. But what they're saying here is, is that sin no longer controls your destiny. That's what is being said here. You see, because you get this debt you can't pay and you just keep trying to pay and you keep trying to pay and you kind of try to pay and you just can't pay for it. You just can't pay for it. You know that churches need to be careful when they receive a gift. I mean, you think, well, you know, they ought to take everything. I have seen churches that have taken property, and the property being a piece of land that has an environmental issue on it. See, an unscrupulous person comes along and says, it will cost me a fortune to clean this land up. So I'll give it to the church and deed it over to the church. And when I deed it over to the church, guess who has to clean up that environmental problem? And that debt goes on and on and on. This is what happens. And what happens to us is is that when we have this sin in our lives, we have this debt that goes on and on and on. And Jesus comes along and says, I'll buy that property from you. I'll take that property from you. You don't have to pay on it anymore. We find from the scriptures that we grow in our Christian lives in grace. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Growth comes from grace. We grow in our walk with our Lord. Just think of the grace that gives us growth. You have grace for this day right now. Grace for this time that you're in in this minute. You have grace for every situation that brings you closer to the Lord. You have grace in every defeat that the Lord helps you through it. And sometimes you need grace for every victory to be helped through it too because we can get the big head. You have the grace for each person from each person who taught you in the Lord that helped you grow. And you have grace for every person that you're teaching to grow in the Lord. Grace is all around you. See, you have grace. And not for grace, what would you be? After Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars, Denzel Washington went back and prayed with Will Smith. You know, they asked him, why did you do that? And Denzel Washington said this, There but for the grace of God I go. There but for the grace of God I could be that person that slapped him. There but for the grace of God I could... I don't... You know, you may say one thing. You may say, I'm not the Christian I need to be. Let me tell you something. The grace of God is upon you. You're not the the Christian you could could be too. And I mean in the bad way. You see what I'm trying to say to you? There but for the grace of God. You may need the grace of God all over us. The grace of God is on us. Scripture says, we serve our Lord by grace. God has gifted us by grace. Think of that. That the spiritual gifts that we have, God has given to us. It's a grace issue. It's a grace to serve. Do you know why it's a grace to serve? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And what we find is, is that out of that, that blessing of being gifted by God, we're able to, to serve and, and we, we're, we've got grace all over us. First Peter chapter 4 verse 10 says, as, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God's, as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
You have been given a spiritual gift. I'm guaranteeing you've been given at least one of these seven right here. You've been given prophecy or service or teaching or, or encouragement or giving or leading or mercy. You'll be given one of those, at least one. You may have more than one, but none of us has all of them as far as that goes. And this is the way that it works because we need to, since we don't all have them together, what we do is we work together. Now think of this. I like to use this illustration. Let's say, for example, you spilled the milk. You understand that? You spilled the milk. You knocked it off the table. You, you crashed it over. The, water's, uh, the milk rather, is running all over the place. Here's the way this works. Let me go down the line. The prophet tells you why you did it. I'm going to tell you what happens. Prophets are pretty rough. And you don't, there are not many, well, I don't know of any pastors or prophets. I know some evangelists that are prophets, and they're pretty rough. They're rough because they, they speak the word of God in such a plain and in-your-face way. And so what happens? That prophet tells you, this is why you did it. This is why you spilt the milk. The one with the service does what? Helps clean up the milk. That's what happens. The service does this. The teacher shows you how to keep it from ever happening again. The encourager says, cheer up, because with a little work, this will never happen again. And tells you, the giver gives you more milk. The one with, uh, the, the, the leader, rather, organizes the whole group of you. And the one with mercy reminds you, it's going to be okay. And we need each other, don't we? And when there is someone who is not serving in the church and using their gifts, there's always a hole in the church. There's a hole in the church because we need that person when we spill the milk to have that person do what is necessary so we don't keep spilling the milk and we go forward in God's grace. And each of you that possesses the Holy Spirit and each of you that knows Jesus Christ as your Savior possesses the Holy Spirit has at least one of these gifts. And like I said, no one has them all. The scripture tells us we are called into service by grace, though, too. We're called into this service. We're gifted to go into service, but we're called into this service. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 7 says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which, is given, he, which was given me by the working of his power. Galatians 1.15 says something very similar. But when he, he who has set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace... Now, when we look at these verses, everybody wants to say, well, that's for preachers and maybe missionaries. Nobody else gets that. Just preachers and missionaries. That's, that's not true. I do not believe that. See, preaching is my profession, but preaching is not my purpose. Preaching is my profession. For what God does with each and every one of us, he takes in his grace, he takes the, your environment, your work, you're wherever you are. Maybe it is your work. Maybe it is in your neighborhood. Maybe it's somewhere else. But what happens is, is that he takes that and he fits you in like a puzzle piece that is perfectly set there so that you can bring the grace of God to other people all around you. And whether you are working or you're retired and you're in your neighborhood or wherever you might be, that is your purpose. And your purpose is ultimately that we're going to be making disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I may use my preaching in order to make disciples of Jesus Christ in a more overt way, but that doesn't mean that you can't do it in a more covert way and that you can't be the person that is bringing people to God's grace. And he is using you. For you may not have realized it, but do you know that when you walked in here, 
God's grace was on you when you came in. It was, it was upon you when you came in. See, it is His grace that brought you here. This is an unusual day for maybe you to be here. It's a holiday weekend. Maybe this is the only time you'll ever be here. Maybe it's because you were driving by. But maybe it was some other reasons. Maybe something just said, I need to go to a church today. Or I need to go to that church. And it was God's grace who said, come here. It is God's grace that opened your ears. Because maybe you needed the message of grace today. Maybe you have been down on everything that's been going on in your life. And you've needed to hear that God has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you one little bit. And that His grace is still on you. His grace is on you at this very moment. It is His grace that is speaking into your heart. It is speaking into your heart and trying to tell you, trying to tell you, you are not alone. You are not alone. I am with you in this. I am with you. Walk with me, God says. Walk with me. It's His grace that has told you what to do. You hear that? You hear that, maybe that, you know, that little quiet voice in your head? And you're going, is that you? Let me tell you something. If it sounds like God, it is God. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Is that that voice is saying, I need you to do this. I want you to do this. I want to bring my grace to others. It is His grace that will call you to salvation. Maybe you came in here today and you know you did not know Jesus and you do not know why you were here. But it is by His grace that you have come in to hear. There's a message of grace here today and I don't have to do anything for it. I just need to come to know Jesus today. Maybe it's His grace that has said, you need to take a step of faith with me. Maybe you need to be baptized and you've never been baptized and you need to do that. Or maybe it's His grace He said, you needed a you need a church home. This is the home that I want you to be in. So I don't know what God's grace is to you. I don't know. But here's what I do know. God's grace is all over you. Could I get everyone to stand now and pray with me?